G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. On a Wednesday, we like to check in on breaking news as it's happening out of Israel and the Middle East. Ron Ross has been scouring the headlines again this week and he's back with us. Hello, Ron. Welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Ron, let's start with one. 50,000 participate in the Jerusalem Flag March. A record number of Jews ascend the Temple Mount. What's this one about? Yeah, how wonderful. An estimated 50,000 Israelis took to the streets on Sunday and participated in the Jerusalem Day Flag March, an event celebrating the reunification of Israel's capital city in 1967. Despite threats from terror groups, including Hezbollah and Hamas, throngs of Israelis waved and danced with flags throughout the old city, ending the march at the Western Wall. Some 3,000 police officers were deployed at the march in order to maintain public order and prevent violence, though some Arab rioters clashed with the Jewish participants. Scuffles were reported throughout the march's vicinity in the old city at Damascus Gate, and in the eastern Jerusalem Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood. Separate from the flag parade, a record number of Jews ascended to the Temple Mount on Sunday. Some 2,626 Jews are believed to have visited the compound, where some sang the Israeli national anthem, prayed and, uh, prayed and waved Israeli flags in defiance of the status quo, which prohibits most expressions of Jewish or Israel identity at the site. No doubt there'll always be tensions on the whole issue around that Temple Mount. Hey, let's move on. Another headline, Ron. China threatens to downgrade Israel ties over a Jerusalem Post-Taiwan interview. How does this one look? Got call from Chinese embassy, tweeted Post-Editor-in-Chief Yakov Kutz on Monday. Apparently I'm supposed to take down the story or they will sever ties with the Jerusalem Post and downgrade relations with the State of Israel. Needless to say, story ain't going nowhere, the tweet said. After Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Taiwan fears it might be next if it's attacked by China. In this interview, the Taiwan Foreign Minister Wu explained why he fears China is getting ready for war. The request to remove the article came not long after the article was published on the Jerusalem Post website. In the article, Taiwan's Joseph Wu warned Israel in an exclusive interview that Israel was relying too much on China and that Beijing was getting ready to invade Taiwan. The Chinese embassy has previously condemned the Post over the articles it has published. There is posturing everywhere. Another issue around posturing, a senior Israel delegation is headed for the USA for talks on Iran. How does this one look? The US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, 
and Israel Foreign Minister Yehleb Tid discussed their joint confrontation of Iran ahead of an anticipated visit to Washington this week. They'll arrive with a delegation from the Foreign Ministry, the Mossad and the IDF for a meeting of a joint working group on Iran known as Leshem Forum. They will also discuss the upcoming International Atomic Energy Agency's 35-nation Board of Governors quarterly meeting on June 6, including the possibility of pushing for condemnation against Iran. In light of that news, five Israelis were listed as potential targets in a report by Iran's semi-official Fars news agency at the weekend as the chief of Tehran's revolutionary guard vowed to avenge last week's assassination of a top Iranian colonel. Fars published the profiles of five Israelis described as experts in military, security, cyber and technology fields of the Zionist regime who had claimed to have been living in hiding due to being under close and constant surveillance by Tehran security and intelligence services. Russia pushing the envelope on a lot of different levels. Uh, Russia now accused of firing S-300 missiles at Israeli jets, signalling a possible shift in relations, Ron. Yeah, the Russian military opened fire on Israeli jets with the S-300 anti-aircraft missiles after an alleged Israeli strike on Iranian targets in northwestern Syria. The Israeli Air Force attacked several targets near the city of Mashef in northwestern Syria. Five people died in the ensuing response, according to Syria's state news agency. The Syrian military fired rounds of anti-aircraft missiles, which have been mostly ineffective at stopping Israeli strikes against Amkash and other Iranian-linked sites. However, this time, the S-300 batteries, which are operated by Russian forces, opened fire as the aircraft were leaving the area. The unprecedented event could signal a significant shift in Moscow's position on Israel. Let's go through some more headlines, Ron. Israel celebrates its first Independence Day in the Gulf region. I can imagine the excitement of this. The Israeli embassy in Bahrain hosted last week the first celebration of Israel's Independence Day to be held in a Gulf Cooperation Council country. The GCC states include Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar and Oman. Hundreds of Bahraini government officials and business leaders attended the event, as well as heads of major companies from Israel's oil and gas, cyber, manufacturing, high-tech, pharmaceutical and logistics sectors. The band of Bahrain's Ministry of Interior played the Israeli and Bahraini national anthems. The evening which highlighted the ties that have developed between Bahrain and Israel since the signing of the Abraham Accords, including a recorded message from Israeli Foreign Minister Yair Lapid, who opened the Israel Embassy in Bahrain in September 2021. And Ron, let's top it off with uh, a headline, Ukrainian refugee children get smart classrooms to continue their studies. What's happening? Yeah, while the war in Ukraine rages, 
Israel-based international humanitarian aid and disaster relief organization Smart Aid has set up online smart classrooms in Moldova, Poland and other neighboring countries. Here, first to 12 graders fleeing the war can continue learning with their geographically scattered classmates and teachers. More than 700,000 schoolchildren have crossed the Ukrainian border. Most of the children are traumatized, said Shakar Sahafi, founding director of Smart Aid. His non-profit organization, teaming up with Global Empowerment Mission, Lifting Hands International, and the Moldova World Children's Fund and Pandemic of Love, works in coordination with the Ukrainian Ministry of Education. Smart Aid is opening smart classrooms for refugee children in more than 100 schools in Poland and over 30 in Moldova. In the coming weeks, Zahavi said, the organization will open hundreds more smart classes across host countries. Well, Ron, you led us into a whole different dimension that so many of us would have no other access to unless you were scouring the headlines. So I appreciate you so much. Thanks for the update again today on 2020. You're welcome. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.